You're listening to Thank You Five, a podcast devoted to Omaha's vibrant performing arts scene. My name is Dana Schweiger, and I've worked in Omaha theater for over 25 years. I'm sitting down with directors, performers, musicians, technicians, and designers to discuss their artistic talent, their passion, and why they continue to call Omaha home. Amanda Fellner is the Associate Costume Designer at the Omaha Community Playhouse, where she has designed numerous shows, including Of Mice and Men, She Kills Monsters, Mamma Mia, Beauty and the Beast, Murder Ballad, and perhaps my most favorite, Men on Boats. Amanda holds degrees in theater and anthropology from the University of South Dakota, where she won first place for costume design at the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival, Region 5, three years in a row. When she is not busy working on costumes at OCP, Amanda makes costumes in her free time, using her skills to create elaborate cosplays and Renaissance Festival attire. Amanda Fellner, welcome to the Green Room. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming over. So we're going to start with the basics, as I like to do. Are you from Nebraska originally? Are you from Omaha? No, I am actually uh, grew up in a small town in Iowa uh, named Tabor. Some people know where that is and some people don't. Where is that for those of us who don't? Um, it is about 40 minutes away um, in, in southwest Iowa. It's kind of near Glenwood, which is a slightly bigger town, so a lot of people do know where Glenwood is. I do. So, of course, being a very small town, if I needed any supplies or anything, we would have to trek to Omaha anyway. So, How many people in Tabor? Uh, about a thousand. Do you still have family there? Oh, yeah. Yep. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yes, I have a sister, and she just graduated from college with a degree in uh, film. Ooh. Yeah. Performance side or technical side? Technical side. What, she, does, what does she do? She likes um, the sound stuff, and she's done uh, wardrobe and special effects and that sort of thing. She's really good at editing, but she doesn't like doing it. So <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. So can I. I still tease her about it. <laughs> Where did you go to grade school? Uh, grade school was in Tabor. Uh, the school is preschool through 12th grade. Okay. So it's basically the same building. Give it a little shout out. <laughs> uh, Fremont Mills. Fremont Mills. Mm-hmm. So that's Fremont County and Mills County. They were okay. At different, several towns from. Sure. From, from each, each that were yeah. in there. Yep. Because it was, because I'm sure they're all small, yes. small little towns around there. When you were in grade school and high school, since it was K through 12, did you participate in any of the plays? Yes. We only really had plays for high school level. And I did not participate my freshman year, but I saw the play and I said, I want to be involved with that. (laughs) So then I did participate uh, the next three years and I was in the plays and I also helped with costumes. Is costumes something that you've always been fascinated with? Yes. Halloween was my favorite holiday, still is my favorite holiday, and it was a big deal for me. Like, I had to know what my costume was, and it had to be accurate, whatever that meant for me at the time. Sure. (laughs) And uh, decorations were important. Everything was important. But it was mostly, this is when I get to dress up, because I didn't know there were other things that you could, other venues for dressing up. Okay. What was your most elaborate Halloween costume? 
from Ooh, when you were a kid. From when I was a kid. Because <laughs> I am I am sure that this, <laughs> is, more this has evolved over the years. <laughs> so from when I was a kid, it was probably... It was probably Catwoman. It was Catwoman from the Batman Returns movie. So Michelle Pfeiffer's version. With all the stitching and everything yeah. on it. That I, I, this is back with VHS, and I had to pause sure. it and say, Mom, see, the stitching is right here, and it goes like this. So we had to make sure it was all in the right place, or did the best that we could. And my mom actually braided a whip for me, so I could, I could be Catwoman. <laughs> Your mom is a saint. <laughs> yeah, she is. There was the point where she said... I think you're old enough to do this on your own now. She was probably tired of me telling her, this has to be exactly this. Like, okay, you can do it. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. You graduated from high school in, I'm scared to ask, what year? 2002. Did you go to college immediately after that? Yes, I did. And that was for costume design? or Yes. Um, so you went to South Dakota. Yep. University of South Dakota. And it was for, and it was, so you got your theater degree and also anthropology. So this fascinates me, the blending of two worlds. Yeah. So how did we, how did we forge that path? Well, pretty much like everything I do, I have, I have a wide set of interests and likes. So the anthropology part was with an emphasis on archaeology because I enjoy that, and I always have. <laughs> but a part of it's just the culture, like ancient culture has sure. always been interesting to me, and to a degree, costume stuff, especially historical costuming, kind of fits along in with all of that. So it's not as far as, as it could seem. Okay. Um, I can, so I'm, so I'm going to interrupt you for, yeah. for one second, because I graduated from college much, much earlier than you did, and uh, year-wise. And so when I went to college, it was like theater and astronomy were my things. So, you know, if the play Silent Sky had been around, then I could have like <laughs> merged the two of them together. But there was way too much math, so I just <laughs> just went with. I didn't do the dual major like you did, so. Yeah, I just. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. I'm, I'm not mocking. It you was or a anything. lot of I'm work. Not, yeah, I know it. I bet it was. <laughs> I bet it but was. But I, I enjoyed it, and I actually um, went on a couple digs in uh, Belgium to excavate a castle, which was really cool. I bet it was. Mm-hmm. I bet it really was. Archaeology is. A lot more just hauling dirt around than you would ex- than anyone would expect. I think it's. I, I still enjoyed it. It's nothing like the portrait, like Indiana Jones or anything sure, like that. Sure. Uh, but it was still really, really neat, and I'm glad I did that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you go on any other archaeological digs besides just the ones in Belgium? No, I did help with a couple exhumations in the cemetery in Vermilion, South Dakota, because they asked. <laughs> our our anthropology department to help out with that was that for like a criminal investigation no um they God. were i know <laughs> i know let's call the anthropology department yeah for this um they were both infants and they were unmarked graves oh. um and both of them is the same situation they needed to know Who where they were and the families had asked for them to be removed and put in a different cemetery oh wow um so that's what they asked us to do. Wow. That's really interesting. It, it was. 
so your degree was in, so you had a, a technical degree mm-hmm. in theater and then anthropology. Yep. Which shows did you design when you were in college? In college, I designed um, this weird, absurdist play called Biederman and the Firebugs. And that's the first thing I designed there. Okay. <laughs> um, and then we did Julius Caesar, but in a post-apocalyptic future, like you do. Right. I guess. Um, I did Secret Garden uh, and You're in Town, the musical. Mm. University of South Dakota has quite a good theater department, because I know, I mean, even back when... When I was in high school, and that would have been back in 87, there were some, or a couple of kids from Miller North who went to uh, University of South Dakota in Vermilion to get their theater degrees. Oh, yeah, and they had a really good facility, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty large to the point where they were considering having Secret Garden be one of the touring or the shows to go to KCACTF, but they couldn't because it wouldn't fit into the theater of um, oh, wow. the, the, the place that was hosting it that year. <laughs> you graduated in what year then? Oh, for college. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2007. Okay. I did take an extra year because of all of the well, be, well, you were crazy dual- stuff I was doing. Well, and I bet you were dual, well with being dual major. Yeah, dual probably... major. And I got my full um, BFA in theater. So that's extra credits too. Right, right. Were there, I'm just curious, between the two of them, did you, were there a lot of crossover as far as like classes that you took one class that would count for both majors? Nope. <laughs> Goodness gracious. How many hours did you take a semester? Oh, gosh. Oh, pretty much the maximum every semester. Yeah. Except there was one. I got, I got really sick one semester, so they, they encouraged me to take not as many credits the next semester. So besides that one semester, I ha- I was at the maximum. You graduated from the University of South Dakota, and then what did you do after that? Where did your career path take you? Um, I, d- I designed a year with Frog and Toad at the Black Hills Playhouse, and the Black Hills Playhouse often had a lot of designers and crew people come from University of South Dakota. I don't know if it's a, a technical partnership or not, but they, they did a lot of crossover. And during during college, I worked in the costume crafts shop at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival. So I did another summer of that and also the design at Black Hills Playhouse right after college. Then I kind of took a little break from theater and I worked at Film Streams down in north, uh, north downtown here in Omaha for a little bit. So how did you get from South South Dakota down to Omaha? What what made you decide to land here after college as opposed to somewhere else to forge your costume career? Well, I, uh, like a lot of college grads do, I ended up back at my parents' house for a little while. And, you know, the closest large hub to Tabor is Omaha. So I kind of just gravitated to Omaha and just to, to do things, find find work, all of that. <laughs> okay. So you worked at Film Streams. Mm-hmm. And then what was the first thing that you costumed when you were here? The first uh, full show I helped. Now I can't think of the high school. That's silly of me. <laughs> I did Dracula and it was at Millard. Scott? Yes, yeah, Scott. Yes, it was at Scott. 
Scott Catholic. And in the meantime, I was going crazy making costumes for Renaissance fairs and just personal stuff. How did you how did you break into doing costumes for Renaissance fairs? I, and how many do you do a year? I actually started doing Ren fairs when I was 14, and this is when there was still a fair at Iowa Western. And I fell in love with it and did that fair every year until it was no more. And, of course, at at the time, I thought I needed a new costume for every year. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you do at the Renaissance Fair? Initially, and this is another thing about me, I play the harp. Ooh! And that was my first gig. I I was at the little tower stage, and I would do half-hour sets and just play. And then... Original music, or...? No, mostly um, folk songs, uh, Celtic Celtic songs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, in between, would run around, sometimes in character, and then I would do my next set. And I finally realized that I enjoyed being in character and interacting with patrons more than just sitting on stage playing. So I transitioned into that instead. So now I still do Ren Faire, but now I'm... Usually on cast, usually doing something ridiculous. <laughs> sure. And they don't do it at Iowa Western anymore, so where, Correct. So where are you performing? Um, my home fair is the one at the Bellevue Berry Farm. Okay. Um, and that one's been around for, for quite a while now, actually. And we also have a pirate festival that will be coming up at the end of August, so that's fun. And I, I do, there's one up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, that I do pretty much every year. And then I, I might visit other ones, but not necessarily as, as cast. Mm-hmm. I'll still be in costume and probably in character. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We call those platrons. Platrons. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. So people who show up in costume and character and like to interact, but they're not officially on cast. Okay. Yep. Platrons. I like that. So, okay. So you were working at Film Streams and you started doing costumes for some renaissance fairs and then when did you transition to starting to do plays in town the first play that i did in town was actually the uh the dracula at scut okay it just it took a while mostly because i knew if i weren't at a theater you have to and you're doing costumes you don't have access to, you know, a, a costume warehouse or, right. or anything. You kind of have to come up with it on your own. And I just felt like I wasn't necessarily at a place where I could do that mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the, the biggest reason that I didn't just jump right into it. But I, I kind of did with Dracula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, interestingly enough, one of the, the ladies who used to work in the costume shop at the Playhouse... Uh, was one of the judges at a uh, a con where I was in one of the cosplay competition, and she was looking at the stuff that I did, and not too much later after that, I got just a Facebook message. It was pretty random. Hey, do you have any extra time? Would you would you want to come in and help in the shop when we need more? more help for shows and of course the answer to that is yes <laughs> and that's how I got into the the playhouse scene. okay what was the first show that you costumed at the playhouse 
the first show I worked on, and this was just an overhire stitcher, mm-hmm. um, they needed extra help for Young Frankenstein because that, uh, that's a pretty big show. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were making a good chunk of it. So they, they called me in, and that's the first one I, I worked on. Okay. And other shows that you've done include... <laughs> include this giant list. Include this giant list. So the first, the first one I designed was Mauritius. That was the first of my actual designs there. And I didn't, I didn't get a chance to see that show. How many shows have you designed at the Playhouse? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. I don't know off the top of my That's head. That's okay, but the fact that you've done a yeah. lot says a lot. It's about four shows a year. Oh, so you do, you do that many. Mm-hmm. You do that many a year. That's a, that is a lot. Beauty and the Beast. Yes. That was an, uh, an interesting show. We actually had three costume designers. Mm-hmm. Because it was so large. Yeah, we don't do that very often. Right. But. Because it was you and Travis mm-hmm. Halsey. Yep. And George Ann. And George Ann. And which section did you work on? I was in charge of the Beast and then, of course, his prince outfit also. Sure. <laughs> but my, yeah, that was my, my big job was the beast and figuring out the transformation and the makeup and, and every part of that. And how did you approach that? Well, my very first step was actually researching how it was done on Broadway and also the tour, which is similar, because we had to decide from the beginning, do we have a body double or not? And that just that alone makes a difference uh, about how you're going to approach the sure. whole thing. So, that, yeah, that was my, my first thing. And then we have meetings to decide, are we going to do it like this or are we not going to do it like that? And for this particular one, we actually did a, a full head cast of the actor so that I could do makeup and, and the whole mane and everything and make sure that it looks correct and good on him. What all is involved with a casting process like that? Oh, there it's it's a process. You have to first of all make sure you have a good space and you cover everything in plastic because the stuff goes everywhere. It's fairly easy to clean up, but you have to go really fast with your molding substances depending on which one you use, but most of them set pretty quickly. So with that being said, stuff just kind of flies everywhere and you have to make sure that cleanup is at least somewhat easy. And we actually covered the actor basically from the neck down in plastic also so that, you know, his clothes wouldn't get just completely covered in this stuff. Right. Had you worked with uh, molding and casting before? Yes. Um, I actually did a, a thing like that in college. We did a cast of an actor's head that we had to create a severed head version of. For It was for Macbeth. And it was the end where we see Macbeth's head. And the director basically said, if we're going to see the head, I want it to look good. Otherwise, I just want a, ba- a bloody bag or something. Right. So, of course, being ambitious, we're like, we can do this. <laughs> we decided to cast his head and we made this horrible <laughs> severed head. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good experience. It is good experience, yes. You put that down as a special skill on your resume. <laughs> severed heads. Severed heads. <laughs> When you sit down to costume a show, for example, let's take Men on Boats just because I'm familiar with that. What do you do for, I mean, I'm assuming you did research, obviously, because these were real people. Yeah. 
But contrast that with when, you know, with something that's more fantasy-wise in, in Beauty and the Beast or, or something else. I, I'm assuming that you do a lot of research before you begin to do any renderings. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. That is definitely correct. Um, and I will do research, like everything from actual completely period, this is the sort of thing they would wear, to seeing how other productions have done it. And that's not, I know there are some designers that don't want to see at all what other productions have done, but I find it useful because I can see what works and what doesn't work. And for me, it's almost more of the what doesn't work that is important. Like, I just, I don't like how that was approached, and I know not to do that myself, and right. I know to go in this direction instead. Or I will say, see something and be like, I like how that was done, and I can do something similar. I don't try to copy anything, but right. it, it's helpful to me. No, it's, it gives you an informed decision, mm-hmm. and why reinvent the wheel or go down a path and then go, oh, if I had only known it was going to be like this, and then you look and go, oh, well, I, oh. if I had just looked... And some shows, the audience really is coming in expecting certain things, like Beauty and the Beast. You wouldn't want to put Belle in, you know, a big old red ball gown because the audience wants to see that yellow dress. Exactly. There are certain decisions like that. that, And, you know, talking to the director as well, because sometimes the director does want to do something completely off off topic. But but like Rocky Horror, which I'm designing coming up after Sweat, it's a a similar sort of thing. There are going to be some certain bits that I guarantee the audience already has in mind what they're going to see and if you throw that off too much it's right. it's going to be jarring exactly you don't want to do that to so your we're audience we're not going to have frankenfurter <laughs> in a big pink chiffon gown yeah that would be unusual that would, that might be a little i mean unusual. it would still fit in the show i'm sure right. but it <laughs> might be a little it might be a little unusual let's talk a little bit about when you uh, uh, about cosplay sure and how you became involved in that mm-hmm what exactly that is and how costumes help to create that atmosphere. All right. What do we want to tackle first? (laughs) (laughs) What is cosplay for those who don't know what what that is? What is cosplay? Cosplay is actually a combination of two words. It's costume play. So it's technically anytime a person wears a costume to go have fun. So really even going to a themed costume party and dressing up for that is technically cosplay. But the biggest scene for cosplay is conventions, comic comic conventions, or pop culture conventions, where you'll see a, a bunch of people all dressed up in costume having fun as that character. When did that start to become a thing? And I say, and I say that cause I, I remember the old, you know, the old uh, Star Trek conventions. Mm-hmm. There was a great... There was a great, great thing where Saturday Night Live, William Shatner had been the host and they were doing a spoof about him being at a Star Trek convention Mm -hmm. and there were people that were dressed up as the the Star Trek characters and he went off on a tangent about how they needed to get a life and, and this, that, and the other thing. And then everybody got all freaked out. He goes, oh, well, that was me playing the evil Kirk, you know, and stuff right. like that. And he covered. So, I mean, clear back, you know. With yes. The, and so that was is it where the Star it Trek started. Conventions? It was this, this science, fiction science fiction sort of conventions and the Star Trek ones. That That is kind of where it began. It's definitely grown in popularity since then. Mm-hmm. We even have, um, if 
I don't know how often you frequent fabric stores, but there are actual cosplay patterns and a cosplay fabric line now. So it's gotten that mainstream that that's just something you can go say, I want to be bombshell Batwoman and go and get the licensed cosplay pattern of that and and make it. But you create your own designs. I do. (laughs) How many Comic Cons do you participate in? Depends on the year. There are two... There are more than two in town. There are two large ones in town that I try to make every year. And we just had one. It was uh, O Comic Con. And then the other one is Anime Nebraska Con. And that one's in the fall. And I try to get to Planet Comic Con. That's in Kansas City. And there are a whole bunch of them, <laughs> clearly, all over the place. And it just kind of depends on my schedule and what I can, can make. And then what... I don't even know how to ask it because I'm... I am so unfamiliar with this. I, I, I mean, I know of it, but I'm so unfamiliar with terminology. So if I say something offensive, let me know. What character do you usually go as? Is that is that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I actually recently decided to uh, count and make a master list of how many cosplays I have because I didn't know off the top of my head. And I have 31 cosplays that I have made. And that's actual named characters, not just costumes of something that I made up. Okay. And it really depends on the convention, which one I'm going to be. (laughs) Okay. And sometimes, because a lot of these conventions have special guests, they have celebrity guests, uh, if I happen to have a cosplay that is connected to one of the guests for some reason, I will wear that one. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Who are your favorite cosplay characters? So I have a Demona, which is from the Gargoyles cartoon from the 90s, and that one is one of my favorites, but she's not very comfortable to wear. (laughs) (laughs) There are stilts and wings and a giant tail involved, and I have to have a handler with me uh, to make sure I don't knock things over or people don't knock me over. (laughs) So so we're going to land on this for a little while. Yeah. So when you go to a convention... You obviously, with the elaborateness of the costume that you just explained, mm-hmm. you're not going to be driving in it. No. So you, <laughs> so you get there, and then you have like a wardrobe bag that has your costume in it. How does this? I, I am. Oh uh, no, that, technically, that's fine. I have no idea how any of this works. So it really depends on on the costume. Okay. This, the one that I just described would not fit in a bag very well. Sure. Um, it, But it does fit in the back of my vehicle. Okay. <laughs> so usually, if I can, I will uh, drive myself to a convention, and that's even... I've been to Dragon Con a few times, and that's in Atlanta, Georgia, and I have driven myself there. <laughs> with your costume with, in the back? Yes, with my costume or costumes in the back. Yeah. I also have a, an Ursula cosplay that has you know, multiple tentacles, and it's very large, and that only fits really in the back of my vehicle. And then once I'm in it... Now, do you stop at a gas station? Or- oh, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once I'm in the costume... Yeah, but where do you go to get in the costume? That's the thing. Usually, if it's something like that, where I'm going to Atlanta, I have sure. a hotel, and right. we try... I have friends that go with me, usually, and we try to get a hotel that's close enough to the convention that, that you, you can, can just walk. walk. Okay. I have been far enough away that we still need to drive, and I have been in the back of 
SUVs in Ursula or in whatever <laughs> because I can't drive, but right. I can kind of fit in you there. You can kind of fit in there. And okay. that's good enough for, you yeah. know, a few blocks. It's, right. it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Do they have, like, contests for, like, who the best costumes yes. are? Have you won? I have, uh, depending on... <laughs> I have been in quite a few contests. I haven't recently because I am considered a professional costumer now because okay. that's my real job also sure. and a lot of places have rules about that which is totally fine yeah. <laughs> completely understand i've sure. actually judged a few recently oh, that's um, cool. but i have done these cosplay competitions and some of them get really crazy and probably the biggest thing that i have won was in atlanta at dragon con i won best novice costume and that was for this crazy thing that I made. It's an original design, but it's armor made out of bones, replica human bones. <laughs> um, so, well, you could have brought your anthropology back into it. <laughs> well, I could tell you what all the bones are on there. But it was kind of like a necromancer sort of character. Sure. This crazy bone stuff going on. And I got best novice at, at the masquerade at Dragon Con. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's really neat. So when you go to these comic conventions in your costume or all of them in their costumes, everybody in their costumes, and then they just walk around like a regular convention and go to booths and things like that. Yeah. Do you ever have a booth that you do that like presents like costume designs that you do? Yes, I have occasionally been asked to be a guest, a cosplay guest at a convention. And in that case, I have a table or a booth that's that's my own for my own cosplay brand. That's Esmeralda Von Katz, by the way. That's my cosplay persona. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I usually, instead of wandering around, which I would do at other conventions, I, I pretty much stick at the booth and people will come up to me and we chat about things or talk about costumes. Do you get hired to design cosplay costumes? People have asked for commission pieces, and it all depends on time and schedule for me. Sure. sure. <laughs> um, I, and I have done some commissions, but it really just depends. Here in town or, or elsewhere? Both, actually, Both. yeah. Because once you put yourself out there on the internet, people will just find you. Sure. And I've even gotten some kind of crazy requests, like, oh, this <laughs> Ursula, could you make it for me for like 80 bucks? No. <laughs> the material costs more than 80 bucks. Right. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> Outside of doing costume work for cosplays mm-hmm. and for, for shows, do you, I believe you had said something about you were designing, uh, when we were off air, we were talking about wedding dresses. Do you design those as well for people or? Not usually. But I, I've altered a few, and I actually have a friend right now who asked me to design it, and I was a little nervous at first, but she wants... It's the only part of it that's very wedding-like is that she's wearing it for her wedding. It's a pretty unconventional wedding, and it's it's almost more like a Renaissance dress than it is a wedding gown. I think wedding dress might make me a little too nervous. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. It seems like there's just... Just a lot of importance going on there <laughs> that I don't want to deal with. <laughs> so usually not, but, you know, if it's a good friend of mine, then I will make mm-hmm. an exception. 
What is going to be, do you know yet what your approach is for your costumes for Rocky Horror? Have you talked with Caitlin about that? We have not had a meeting yet, although uh, auditions uh, have occurred and we're going to have a cast soon. So that's exciting. Yeah. What else are you? In the middle of sweat right now. Yeah. (laughs) Talk a little bit about that process and your design concept for that. For sweat? For sweat. Yeah. So sweat even though it's uh, it's t- set in the year 2000 and there are a few scenes in 2008. And so it's fairly contemporary clothing-wise, so that's not really a challenge. But there are some drastic changes for a couple of the characters between those two time periods and figuring out how to do those and make the transition quickly because, of course, there's not a very much time right. <laughs> to do that. They never give you enough time. Yep. That's been... That's been a bit of a challenge. And then also every scene is not just a different scene, but, you know, could be a few months later. So it has to look different enough. So it seems like it's, you know, oh, yeah, now it's May and not March. But they a lot of the characters don't have very much time to do a change in between that. So I've been, I think for this particular show, my biggest challenge is figuring out how to make it look like, yes, this is a completely different outfit, even though the the actors don't have very much time to do a change in between there. How do you approach something like that? Because I would think that I would think that would be difficult. It is. I for this particular show, especially, I'm doing a lot of layering. It is helpful. We're starting in January and then going throughout the year until I think it's November is the last scene. So we have, <laughs> lots of layers going on in January and then they can take a layer off and sure. and keep doing Reveal that it yeah, until until it's May or June mm-hmm. whenever it is and then intermission happens so that's enough time to change the base layer and then go back the other direction and put some more layers on that that's my approach for this particular show uh, just because there for some of the scenes there's absolutely no time right <laughs> There'd be enough time to take a layer off, maybe put another layer on, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And directors are always saying faster changes, faster, yes. faster, faster. <laughs> Which transi- I understand. I, I scene transitions. really understand that scene transitions can't be ridiculous. Well, and you know, but that, I mean, that's kind of changed over the years too, I think, mm-hmm. as our, what do I want to say, attention spans have gotten shorter. Mm-hmm. It's like here, yes. now. We need this. We yep. need the next scene now. We need it now. Right now. Commercial yep. break. Let's, you know, hit the TiVo and we'll that skip the true. commercials and go on to the next thing. And that does make it, it does make it a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed in the plays that you've read and the musicals that you've read that that is becoming more apparent that it used to, you know, it used to be like you oh, would yeah. have like musicals and would have these big sweeping musical transitions, which would give a cast of a hundred time, time to completely change costumes. And or, now everything is just flows yeah. one right into the other, into the other, into the other. And you, and you really can't. Yes. How, how as a designer, and I suppose it does depend on the show, but have you discovered little, shortcuts that you can make over the years as a designer to help you out with that or is it really truly on a case-by-case basis there are things like glaring and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing that that i you know we all kind of pick up little things that can help but a lot of times it is a case-by-case sort of basis and sometimes it's also 
whoever your director happens to be and how they're going to approach it because I've learned I've seen with a lot of scripts and a lot of more modern scripts it just kind of says and then this happens and then this like there's just these bullet points almost that have to occur and it it is more up to the director on exactly how we're presenting that on the stage which then of course affects how right <laughs> do you have are going to do yeah it. do you have any input in with a director then with collaboration on things like that do they you know will a director ask you and say okay they said this usually I uh, will think about it and come up with the options that make the most sense like we could do it like this or like this and then let the director Director decide decide what they like the best Mm -hmm. murder ballad yeah tell me about the design process for that show that was a really fun show. Yeah, that's a dark, <laughs> I mean, that's a dark musical. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that one, again, had a lot of different scenes and different time periods happening, but sometimes the characters didn't even really leave the stage area. Right. So again, that was a, a lot of like, well, and now this jacket goes on, and they would have to leave their pieces maybe on the bar stool or on, we had a pool table that also kind of doubled as a bed surface when it needed to so sometimes things would just end up on there and it I think it was effective we had to we had all of these different times and Mm -hmm. you to a point you just have to realize oh this is happening at some other time and this person has not leave left the stage so you can't really right and I think with good staging you can you know you can overlook that and and an audience will go with you Mm -hmm. on something like that and then with murder ballad one of the characters was technically a the narrator so uh, we pretty much decided that she didn't necessarily need a costume change as the narrator and there were there there's a moment you know not giving things away for those people who haven't necessarily seen the show but there there was a moment where she had to kind of be less narratory and more kind in the story and we would just take off a couple pieces and put you know, an apron on and and, mm-hmm. it, and it works mm-hmm. to do something like that. I really like that show. Yeah, me too. Do you prefer to costume musicals or plays or does it matter? It doesn't really matter to me. They are a bit different and they're even different just going into it process wise. But I, I have fun with both. I How had... is the process different for you? between play and musical musicals usually now it does depend on the musical but especially a big main stage production there's a lot of spectacle moments that occur and you have to keep that in mind while just the whole process like and now we need you know x number or of crazy jumpsuits or whatever it may be but you have to keep the, the spectacle parts in mind where a lot of plays don't necessarily have that they're not as spectacle based they're they're more you know real down to earth right not all of course this no is not, well no like not the exception to that would be she kills monsters yes yes so that that's a true. nice segue <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the process of designing yeah. she kills monsters that that was a very fun show. There are a lot of oh, <laughs> I'm getting anxiety thinking about it again. <laughs> well, uh, what no, was fun were... about that is because it expanded the world of the re- the realism mm-hmm. and also the fantasy yes. with the Dungeons and Dragons. So with that, it kind of blended your two worlds because yeah. you had the realism, but then mm-hmm. you could kind of I would think meld in a little bit of your cosplay design yes for it so yes that is true 
it was a lot of fun. There were, as the title would suggest, a ton of monsters in it. <laughs> uh, and I made the decision early on to actually build all of the masks for the monsters for several reasons. One is that they had, I knew they had to do a lot of combat uh, while wearing the masks. And I know from experience and from experience as a designer seeing other people try to act in crazy latex masks or whatever they move around the eye holes are are tiny and it's hard to see through them there are a whole bunch of problems Um, and I've made quite a few masks before and I know how to do it so that you can still see and they're fairly comfortable to wear but they turn you into you know a bugbear or whatever you need to be and then the other reason for making them was because for most of the monsters I needed more than one Like, there are three bugbears, and there are four kobolds, or whatever. So I know a particular technique where you can sculpt out the face, and then uh, use, it's a material called foss shape, so it's basically a thermoreactive felt, and you can pull off several of the exact same thing from your one sculpt that you did. So I knew that would be helpful time-wise <laughs> with, with all these masks and everything. What was the typical render time for a mask? How long did it take you to make the masks? The sculpt time, it kind of depended upon which monster it was. Uh, some of them took a little, little longer than others. But then once the sculpt was done, I could get a mask pull off of it in maybe about an hour and a half. So what all is involved in the process of sculpting a mask? Well, for what I do, for the, especially for this particular show, it's helpful to start with just a plaster face of, doesn't even have to be one of the actors because you're changing it so much that it doesn't really matter. We've got a couple just plaster faces in the back room. I'm not even sure who they are, <laughs> they are of. Uh, and I use one of those and then uh, you, I just... Just random yep, plaster faces. Random plaster faces. <laughs> the, the things that you find in the playoffs. Oh, yes. And then building up what I want the monster to look like on top of that, just with regular modeling clay. And then once that is done, or I I feel like it's done at least, then I cover it with a layer of aluminum foil, and that helps to protect the clay a bit and also protect the, the mask material that I'm using from the clay. And then you get a, a piece of this foss shape and kind of place it on top, and then start forming it over this sculpt with a heat gun. You have to be very careful because you can end up burning your fingers. <laughs> but you can also use tools, uh, sculpting tools, to, to get things in the crevices and everything. And this foss shape, once you get it heated up, will mold into the shape of this sculpt that you've made. It takes a while to do because you just do little piece by piece. And then once you like it, it's done you can just pull it off and so it cools fairly quickly yeah it cools very quickly fascinating so you have the so you have the plaster phase Mm -hmm. then you put the modeling clay over it to get it to the the monster face the monster face Mm -hmm. then you put the aluminum foil on then the 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 foz felt stuff (laughs) it's hard shape yep heat it Uh get it and then you take and then you take it off Mm -hmm. And then you said, are there multiple, it's not multiple layers, so, but you can do multiple 
molds of the face, multiple monsters. Yes. Yep. Based off of that, off of that one. So mm-hmm. if you had three, you could do three, and then there's your mask for each individual actor. Yep. Exactly. And they look pretty similar. Right. And then you add like hair and yes, and things hair like and, that. And for for these monsters, because a lot of them are supposed to have kind of big, exaggerated, pointy ears. Uh, I made the ears separately and then put them on after after doing the, the face part of the mask. And then was it fairly easy for the actors to put that on? Does that Did that go on as like an actual like headpiece or was it something that just fit over the face that had like a strap in the back to hold it in? Yeah, they all uh, just fit over the face and then had an elastic strap. Some of them had to have more than one strap depending on how things sat on their faces sure and but then I, just wore wigs over that yeah wigs or the or the hair for the bugbears for example um were attached to the mask and it just kind of flopped over their head gotcha but that was another part these most of these had to go on and come off pretty quickly mm-hmm. and right, i knew because they played multiple roles yep multiple <laughs> multiple roles in succession so i knew that was a factor going in which is another reason i decided to make them Mm-hmm. For something like that, do you do you build a lot of costumes or do you pull a lot from stock or is it a combination? I suppose it depends on the show. Yeah, it depends on the show and it's usually some sort of combination. I don't I can't even think of a show that we've done where we haven't pulled some pieces from stock. And that's either you know, if we have some ensemble office workers for instance, there's really no point in making a bunch of sure. business shirts if we can go to stock and, and pull sure. them in all the right sizes. Right. But yeah, it's usually, and it all depends on the show, but it's usually a pretty good combination. And with the internet and Amazon and everything, uh, it's a lot easier to do online shopping for it too. Recently, I've been doing shows that need a lot of used-looking work boots. So <laughs> this is... <laughs> This is of mice and men, and uh, to a degree, well, I definitely needed a lot of boots for men on boats, Mm -hmm. and then uh, for sweat now, and they need to look like they've been worn a lot, not just brand new work boots. Right. So I've actually been able, I've had some pretty good luck on eBay with pre-used work boots that I can get (laughs) for these shows, and they look pretty good. Right. And we could distress something, but sure. there's there's a point where I'm like, no, look at these. They're they're old and they have this one little hole here and yeah. they look worn. Right. Well, and sometimes you have to look at like what you have budget-wise versus what you have time-wise. Yes, and yes. sometimes you just have to make that decision and say, okay, I'm going to buy this because I need to make like three ogre masks. And- <laughs> exactly. I can't, you know, I can't deal with, you know, something, something else. Yep. Some of the monsters in She Kills Monsters, we actually did buy, you know, Halloween costume, muscly monster suits, and then augmented them. We added fur and leather pieces over top of it to make some of the the monsters because, as you said, like, we have three or four of this particular monster, so they need to look similar, but they're in one scene. Right. So we have to balance Mm -hmm. what we're making and what we're buying. Mm Mm-hmm. So what are the shows you're designing this season at the Playhouse? So this season, I've got Sweat and Rocky Horror and Once and the Peter Pan one whose name always confuses me. It's like happy birthday to Peter Pan on her 70th birthday. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. 
Rocky is probably the most, is Rocky probably going to be the most complex one? Yeah, probably. We, interestingly, and this, I mean, seasons are just, are the way that they are, but last year we had some pretty complicated shows for costumes, and this year we don't have as many complicated costume shows, so Rocky Horror probably is the craziest as far as costumes go. Right. What would you say your most difficult or most complex show is that you've had to design? That's a good question. Hmm. James and the Giant Peach had a lot of of interesting creative difficulties involved with it. So I th- I think that's the one. She Kills Monsters did also have some crazy stuff, but I kind of had a formula for that mm-hmm. for what I was doing. Mm-hmm. The James and the Giant Peach um there isn't really a set process anywhere for making insects, for example, or sure. animals in general. They don't happen enough that you'd have it down to a science. Like, you know, if you were making a dress for a big old big old Victorian gown, like, okay, well, we know how to do this. It involves this, this, and this, and, and then go from there. Now you need to make a grasshopper. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It just... Yep, that yeah, that one had a lot of a lot of crazy things. I used a lot of EVA foam for the 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 hard parts of the insects because I knew it would hold up for a whole production. Is it easy to sculpt? It can be. There's a learning curve. <laughs> but it's also a favorite thing for cosplayers building armor. Mm. So I have had some experience with it. And for those who don't know, EVA foam is just those floor mats, those interlocking floor mats that you find at the hardware store. Sure. You can turn it into anything. <laughs> it paints well. It does paint well. Usually it's best to do a primer coat uh, using Plasti Dip, which is this pretty weird rubberizing substance. But it works really well because it's designed to flex a bit once it's dried, so it's not going to crack and come off of anything. And then once that's on it as a base coat, you can pretty much do whatever you need to over top of it, and it'll it'll adhere well. Is there a bucket list show that you would love to design that you hope somebody puts on a season somewhere? Hmm. Yeah, I'll go out and say it. It would be really fun to do Cats. I know it's not a favorite. People don't like that show. That's okay. (laughs) But I enjoy it, and I enjoy cats in general, like the actual animal. There's a reason I was Catwoman when I was a little girl. And it would also be pretty fun costume-wise to do. I think it would also be fun if we got to do Into the Woods at some point because that that would be pretty cool too. I'll backtrack a little bit because I interrupted you. Some of the other cosplay characters that mm-hmm. you have, that you have, what are some <laughs> of the, you said you had 31 of them. Yes, I so. have 31 of them. Uh, so I do, I've actually made myself a Catwoman. Again, it's the Michelle Pfeiffer version, mm-hmm. but for me as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and even better than we did it when I was a child. <laughs> so that's that's one that's pretty fun to do. I also have Winifred Sanderson from Hocus Pocus. She's 
one of the Sanderson sisters, and I have a couple friends that are the other two Sanderson sisters, and that one, that's really fun. It doesn't matter if it's around Halloween or not. People will get very excited <laughs> to see the Sanderson sisters out and about. And that's one where we like to be in character, and we'll pretty much stay in character the whole time we're out, and people really appreciate that. <laughs> and just as a side note, if we were actual witches trying to steal children, it would be super easy because parents pretty much throw their children at us. <laughs> they want pictures or whatever. We've had parents hand us babies so they can get a picture. <laughs> and we've thought, like, awesome. if we were really witches, <laughs> if we really wanted so to steal easy. your baby, we could. <laughs> It's the same with fairies also, I've learned at Renaissance fairs. Sometimes fairies even become babysitters. They'll just kind of leave us, <laughs> leave the children with us. We're like, where did they go your, off to have some meat or something? <laughs> do, you do you still attend Halloween costume, uh, Halloween costume parties every year? Yeah. I mean, obviously, any excuse to dress up. <laughs> do you normally use things that you have in your... In your closets already, or yeah, I suppose it depends so. on if you're working a show. Yeah, and it interestingly, I usually don't break out the big elaborate ones for mm -hmm. Halloween parties. There's, it's it's a different atmosphere, and uh, especially if it happens to be a bar party or something, sure. that it's <laughs> a lot harder to get around in a gigantic costume at, sure. at a bar where people are drinking and having fun and what whatnot. So I usually opt for some of the less elaborate costumes for Halloween, but it's still Halloween and I really enjoy dressing up. So, <laughs> Do you have all of your designs somewhere in your home or do they not all fit? <laughs> they don't all fit. I have a specific costume closet and a lot of my stuff does fit in there. My parents are lovely and let me keep some of the larger pieces at their place in the basement like some of the, the giant wings that I have, or Ursula that I, I mentioned earlier, it would be difficult. I mean, that would take up probably half of my costume closet, just, just Ursula. So it's very nice of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someday I will have a place big enough to hold everything. Yeah. But yeah. until I get there. Oh, there's also a big centaur back half at my parents' place. <laughs> <laughs> that I should probably do something with. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What is your favorite color? I hate favorites. <laughs> but what, it's probably... What is a color that you adore? Oh, Let's... thank you. I do enjoy purple. And I, I don't even know why, but I'm, I'm drawn to it. I like purple. Dark purple? Light purple? Darker purple, yeah. Darker purple. Mm -hmm. If you could go back in time... And have lunch with anyone, Ooh. like a historical figure. Mm -hmm. Who would you like to have lunch with? Queen Elizabeth I. Mm, why is that? Probably because I, I do so many Renaissance fairs, but I, most of the fairs that I do, we set in that particular era of the Renaissance, and we have a Queen Elizabeth, and we have talked about things and speculated things and just it would be really interesting to actually be able to talk to the real person and see, mm -hmm. see what she was like what is your favorite type of music hmm i'm actually not very picky about music 
It depends on what mood I'm in, actually. Do you have, like, specific music that you listen to when you design? Not necessarily, but sometimes, depending on what I'm working on, like when I was working on my Fairy Queen for the Renaissance Fair this year, I I just preferred to listen to a lot more kind of Celtic Mm -hmm. fantasy sort of music. Sure. Just because it was helping me stay in the mood for it. But it it, it does kind of depend. Sometimes I just listen to whatever... (laughs) I know that's not an answer. <laughs> no, that is an answer. That is a good answer, actually. If anyone wants to check out my cosplay stuff, I have a Facebook page and a Twitter and an Instagram, and it's all under Von Katz Cosplay. So that's V-O-N-K-A-T-Z Cosplay, and that's C-O-S-P-L-A-Y, in case in case anyone wants to check that out. Yeah, Definitely. <laughs> That's and I, cool. I do it under a different name. I mean, of course, all of my friends and a lot of people locally know that that's me and it's okay. Right. But I have over 10,000 followers on my Facebook page and a lot of them don't necessarily need to know, <laughs> right. you know, Who you where are. I work or, you know, sure. whatever. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good thing 10,000 people don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you for listening to the Thank You Five podcast with original theme music by Tim Vallier. For more information about tonight's guest, please visit www.thankyou5pod.com. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And remember that right now, somewhere in the world, a stage manager is saying, Five minutes to curtain. Thank you, five. 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 That's theater talking.